Welcome to your Right to Speak discussion on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 55 and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Deidre Carroll. Did I say that right? I hope so. <laughs> about mindfulness practice. Uh, Deidre is a passionate um, about helping others stay connected to themselves and grounded uh, in their true wants and needs. She has 12 years uh, of experience as a social worker, uh, working in the social work field with youth and women. She is a registered psychotherapist and has extensively traveled to India to learn about uh, yoga and alternative health practices. She provides therapy supported by holistic practices, including mindfulness, meditation, Reiki, restorative yoga, goddess cards and saging we will ask about the goddess cards because mm-hmm. i want to learn about that uh her u- unique approach means um your work with her is guided by what you truly want so welcome deidre would you like to add anything else to your intro that i've done <laughs> yeah no thanks um thanks for that great introduction yeah i think you pretty much summed up most of what i'm up to what i've been up to in the field the past few years um, my focus generally and my experience has been with youth and women just the way that my career has turned and i have just started to uh my private practice because I really felt like I wanted to hone in on the one-to-one work with Mm. people um, on topics like mindfulness. I felt like our field, especially the field of therapy, can be a little rigid in terms of coming to an office every day, sitting in chairs and like having a formal discussion with notes. And I felt, you know, what else can we bring in besides the talk therapy? Um, There's lots of different methods that I use as well, like DBT and CBT and all of the traditional formal Mm -hmm. therapies. But also, um, I just because of my other experiences out east in India and other places, I just thought it would be great to bring that in. And the field is moving in this direction anyway, um, as you're going to talk about, we're going to talk about um, with mindfulness, etc. So I just thought, oh, maybe in my practice, I can incorporate all of these together and really like use that to help the client to get to what they Mm want to be, namely like looking within and seeing more about themselves and what they want to, you know explore right well i'm excited to have you on the show thank you um we're just gonna do your right to speak fashion just dive right into the questions and see where this journey is going to take us so mindfulness practice has really become a buzzword Mm -hmm. in our field and i was wondering if you could explain what is really mindfulness practice and what are the pros and cons to it sure so yeah mindfulness um can be sort of an overwhelming thing to think about um so people are sort of confused by the term because it does encompass a lot of different aspects of things Mm -hmm. so i would say that meditation is one part of mindfulness um but really what they've done is um taken the aspects of mindfulness and meditation that are present in a lot of religions and cultures around the world. Um, I believe, I would say Buddhism being the primary background. And they've taken um, people like John Kabat-Zinn, who does the mindfulness-based stress reduction courses and things, um, he decided that there was room for it in the psychotherapy counseling field, and he sort of took pieces of it and tried to make it a more clinical approach. 
So he started building on concepts like um, self-awareness, mm-hmm. growth, self-compassion, curiosity, and how to just be more present in ourselves so that we become more aware of ourselves. And then we can become more aware of our body sensations, our thoughts, our emotions, and then try to work within that space. So mindfulness is about cultivating that awareness in yourself. So it can be anything from breath work to body movement, like the yoga traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, It can also be just awareness activities and just developing a relationship with yourself. So noticing what's going on with you, not necessarily even trying to change it. So the, the primary practice is to just become aware of what's going on with you because we spend so many so much of our day especially in the western culture um you know racing through we're on the clock we're in traffic we're stressed we've, we multitask and um they're suggesting that we slow things right down we sit we take some time every day um informal and informal practices um to just sort of develop that relationship and see what is going on with me today and I think there's a lot of confusion um, around what that can feel like Mm -hmm. or what it's supposed to feel like. So um, when you're talking about the cons of it, I think people just feel like, oh, I have to, you know, sit and, you know, on the floor every day and just zone out for 30 minutes and then somehow I'll be enlightened. And it's very (laughs) overwhelming (laughs) and confusing. And it's like, wait, like this is really hard. Mm -hmm. And when you go to sit on the mat or wherever you are, Um, you know, sitting into that practice is a really hard, brave thing to do. Like it it can be uncomfortable, right? It's not always a good place to be. And then some people can get really caught up in the idea that we're supposed to feel Zen and good when we're Mm -hmm. doing this practice. And if we're not, then it can really generate like criticism and judgment. And that's actually not what the practice is meant to be. So if you're with the right teachers, um, showing you, they'll, you know, try to, show you that all of your emotions and thoughts are okay and it's about developing a skill like you would anything else where you just practice what you learn and you try to stay with it no matter what a good day a bad day you know if you were training for something or doing anything else it's like the same kind of process like you're learning right so it's about being kind to yourself not judging yourself and then if you're doing it in groups it's about um you know, not comparing yourself mm-hmm. to other people and also accepting everyone in the group's emotions. So some people might really enjoy a practice, other people don't. And even if you don't, you're still working through it and just seeing, you know, if you have any sort of movement in your awareness that way. So it sounds like really the core of mindfulness is just being aware of mm-hmm. what's going on inside. Yes. And if there are negative feelings that arise from it, it's okay. Yeah. It's just being able to be aware of those feelings and then what? Mm-hmm. What happens then? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what? that's always the, the interesting piece. So um, I think that's why I was so drawn to learning mindfulness myself um, was because I liked the concept that it, there's no judgment. It's okay to be yourself. Right. Like I really liked cultivating that piece because I feel like so many people don't feel that way in their Mm day-to-day lives and if they can just have a little piece of that I feel like there's some peace there um so that's why I got into it but um I think if you are uncomfortable in the moments the formal practice is to just sit through it and work through it um so that can look different because in a group you might be discussing how that feels and they might be working Mm -hmm. with you through it if you're alone you might be processing it alone and getting comfortable with processing by yourself if that's unusual to you but there's um still a lot of 
guidance that's needed in these particular areas. So I would say that the field itself is pretty new, you know, mm-hmm. as a practice. It's maybe 20, 30 years old where it's become really more popular that people are doing it. And they're starting to recognize the limitations of the way that we're doing mm-hmm. it here um, in the West. So for example, um, I think when I went to India, for example, I really got a sense of what the movement was based around in terms of the bigger picture. Mm. So I feel like when you come into classes here, um, like group meditations or even certain like Hatha yoga um, is based in this Buddhism mindfulness Mm -hmm. achievement, um, there's not a lot of education around why we're doing this or what's going on. And I feel like that's a missing piece Mm. because if you had more context, you might be more open to it. Whereas we just sort of put people in a room and say, okay, this is what we're doing and do this, but we don't always explain the why. And for me personally, I find the why like really exciting and really like it helps me sort of buy in, if you will, to the practice. Like, Oh, this is why we're doing it. So being there really helped. And sometimes that piece can be missing. Um, So, yeah, I think um, once things do come up, there's also the next question of what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, like, that's a very common question. It's like, okay, um, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. What do I do next? And the idea is actually to do nothing. Okay. (laughs) So that is where people can get really stuck because, again, we're so used to solving things Mm -hmm. in different ways, like, as quickly as possible um, and also... um, in a way that is familiar to us here. So a lot of times that can be things like, okay, let's pull out of the practice. Let's go watch TV. Let's go eat something. Let's go Mm -hmm. numb out, you know? Um, We don't want to feel these feelings. Um, So I think the first step is to actually sit with it a little bit longer, if you can. Um, There's a concept called the window of tolerance, which means as long as you can tolerate it without going into like some kind of really uncomfortable feelings where it's totally overwhelming, like the idea isn't to put you into a crisis state. Right. So it's more so like, can I just sit here and explore what I'm feeling? If I'm crying, if that comes up, can I sit here and cry? And then exploring how do you feel after that process? Because a lot of people get so caught up in, I don't want to feel these bad feelings, that they just move away from them. And we're saying, what about sitting and working through them? Which is, you know, similar to what the therapy and counseling techniques are here. That if you work through it, there's some freedom and then... Uh, at the end of that process there's a light at the end of the tunnel right it's like well if you move through the pain there can be some release of that pain that's maybe stuck inside you or if it's not being explored it can become trapped in your body Um, there's someone Dr. Gabor Mati some people might be familiar with his work he's a doctor out in British Columbia um, who gives a lot of speeches around this very practice that if you keep things in the body it manifests into physical illness so if you keep trauma and emotions trapped so I believe that this is really why mindfulness started to go hand in hand Mm -hmm. with the practices here because they felt like releasing and moving through it can really be helpful so what happens because you mentioned that it's not about you know the window of tolerance Mm -hmm. and it's not about putting yourself in a crisis state right what happens if you do put yourself in a crisis state yes so um again i think the field is starting to wake up to Mm -hmm. these issues of for example people who have been through trauma right um and honestly most of the population has been traumatized in some kind of way it's called childhood (laughs) so you know 
like uh, the idea that everybody has times in their life that are painful, um, you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, mm -hmm. um, your feelings are hurt, or you go through um, life experiences like death, loss, separation, all of those emotions. And um, Buddhism actually speaks to that and says, like, you know, these are part of life. We're not meant to be moving away from these mm. um, concepts. We're meant to sort of be um, accepting them as a part of life and then moving through them somehow. Um, so I think when people first come into these practices, for example, I'm thinking of breath work, sitting with your body, closing your eyes, as is often suggested, mm -hmm. um, it can bring up a lot of uncomfortable things. Because sometimes we're not in the present, most of the time, really. Yeah. We're in the past or we're in the future. So we're either anticipating things happening or we start to think about past uh experiences which very often can be trauma-based mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a wonderful researcher um, his name is let's see I'm just trying to recall David Trevlian mm -hmm. sorry and um, he's doing a lot of research right now on trauma-sensitive mindfulness and he explained that um, your body is actually primed when you've been through trauma to focus in on the stimuli that will protect you from that trauma mm -hmm. to remind you of it. So ironically, when you sit in these positions, your body might go into this trauma reenactment or reliving of it mm -hmm. because your body is starting to go, okay, like what's going on here? And I'm primed to, you know, be alert for things that might hurt me or be in danger or be painful for me. And then your body goes right to that. So instead of the practice of, you know, listening to the sounds around you and what's going on in the present, we go right back to that space. Right. And then the emotions, the thoughts follow and the emotions, however order you want to mm -hmm. talk about that. Everyone has, there's different theories around which comes first, what's more important. But generally those emotions will come up and then people go into complete overwhelmed mode. Um, whether it's they've been triggered by a noise or something or they've been triggered by a memory or their body is physically in distress and people can, you know, start crying, they might have flashbacks or nightmares, um, all of the trauma triggers. So when that happens, we don't encourage you staying in the mindfulness okay. practice any longer. We actually tell you to move out of it. Um, so again, David discusses a lot around also for practitioners who are teaching this, that they uh, move into a more trauma-informed practice of the mindfulness mm. techniques. So that involves giving people a lot of options around how to handle sitting in this space. So do we need to have the lights off? Maybe that's uncomfortable for some people. Do we need to tell people to close their eyes? No, you can definitely sit in some kind mm -hmm. of a practice, formal or informal, um, without having to close your eyes. You can just focus on a spot on the floor. Um, and then there, he also talks about the idea that when you're in a group of people, the the um, the authority uh, influence of the teacher might prevent people from expressing their true emotions, mm -hmm. right? So they'll say, oh, I'm in a group or I'm supposed to do this. So they keep right. that inside. And we don't always know if someone's experiencing trauma. So it's best to just uh, assume that people in the room, at least one person may be experiencing this. So how do we create the practice to to hold them in as, as safe a space as possible. Um, it's not always possible to create that safety because everyone's safety is different, mm -hmm. but just being as aware as we can. And then um, 
we talk about not doing certain practices if it's really too difficult for you and it's becoming overwhelming or triggering because the practice is meant to bring you uh, like you know to be able to sit in it without put bringing you into a crisis so if you are into that state um, we recommend coming out of the practice and finding someone to support you through these mm-hmm. practices so if you're alone and you're doing it then maybe you're going to find somebody who is um, experienced in this uh, it can be a counselor or a therapist for example that has a background right. in this and then they're, they're excuse me they are sitting with you doing this and if you become overwhelmed there's someone right there to start processing that with you and saying okay what's going on with you and maybe it is this trauma and maybe right. that's what needs to be discussed and that's more important than the mindfulness piece at this time so it's about working with where the client is at at the time or the person whoever it is in the groups yeah love it yeah. um so time is just flying by with us <laughs> it's great would we say that mindfulness is not for everyone mm-hmm. and if we say that what who is mindfulness really geared for and or works for and who does mindfulness not work for uh, yeah, no, Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great yeah. question. Um, I think that mindfulness is a tool. Mm-hmm. So it is not meant to be that everybody who's, who goes through the process of mindfulness will want to incorporate into their lives. Right. It's a choice, like anything, or like any kind of therapy, right? Some mm-hmm. people's therapy works for them. Some people, certain techniques do and don't. Sometimes the therapist themselves is a good fit, or they're not, right? right? So people really need to... Um, be okay with what they choose as their path in this process. So um, as teachers, we ask that people be open to the process. So just sitting and participating as much as you can Mm. and then taking from it what you will. Um, It's just one strategy of managing this crazy life that we live, right? right? (laughs) And just one technique of getting through it. Um, But that is why they offer so many different forms of mindfulness. Um, Like I said, there's formal and informal practice. So formal means you're actually sitting and following along an instruction Mm -hmm. of a breath practice, Mm -hmm. or you're sitting in meditation, um, or you're doing mindful movement. And informal is that at certain times during the day, you might be about to enter a stressful situation or you're in one and you want to move through it so you might do a quick breath exercise or you just stop and observe what's going on around Mm -hmm. you and proceed mindfully there's different techniques Um, but you just pick and choose what you will from that so I personally you know am more of a fan of the sitting focused meditation and breath work not so much mindful movement (laughs) but some people um we've noticed or I've noticed especially if their minds are busy they prefer mindful movement because Mm. they feel like they can really move their bodies and become aware of what's going on around them in that way more so than just sitting there in one spot focusing on your breath Mm -hmm. you know so I think it's just really personal for you I think you know it's interesting to me because we both agree that mindfulness is not for everyone and Mm -hmm. it's a tool but I feel in particular for child and youth um, care practitioners yes. is very much I found that it's very much ingrained in our work very much ingrained in our training that mm-hmm. one of the major pieces we can do with youth because we are not counselors mm-hmm. is mindfulness right. and you know I 
I remember early on when I was, you know, still getting my education, that mindfulness was always brought up and it was kind of forced down our mm-hmm. throats mm-hmm. as we were being trained, right? Right. And I just feel like if the field is moving in that direction, the child and youth care practitioners need to have other, we need to be properly trained in mindfulness, okay. right? Yes. And we need to have a better understanding of how to do that trauma-informed work mm-hmm. and it's beyond the breathing and it's you know all this other stuff right there's you can use music there's yes. so many different things there you know is. body scans and like everything mm-hmm. right and we're not I don't think we're fully trained on it you know I would love to see post-secondary have a mindfulness course that you know CYCs have to take right yeah, that, yeah that's a, a great idea um I think that, you know, every few years mm-hmm. in the field, you know, being in it for the period of time I have, there's always sort of a wave of a new theory right. or a new approach or a new way of connecting with the youth. Um, and then it's sort of, uh, yeah, it's a wave where it's taught in, you know, everybody seems to be doing it. Everybody's mm-hmm. trained in it. Usually that goes back to there's a funding for it and then it's being right. implemented, you know, across, you know, Toronto where we are, for example. Um, and then I think it's up to, again, the care workers, child and youth workers, who to develop their own sense of comfort with which theories work for them. Right. And yeah, I have noticed definitely this mindful movement has been the latest. I think before that was DBT. Yes. Before that was CBT. <laughs> we had narrative. Um, you know, so every everything goes through its its periods. Um, but I would say yes. I believe having gone through the training myself that it's a very specific way mm-hmm. of exploring your body and mind that is not necessarily done in everyday practice mm-hmm. so i found it challenging too i would say the main reason is because as workers we're trained to go right into the feelings and the thoughts so we want to know you know what's going on with the youth where is this feelings coming from what are you thinking and mindfulness is actually moving away from thought right yeah. so it's like, it feels like they're completely at odds yeah. with each other but um and so it's hard to to look at developing questions around you know what did you notice is a popular question what are your body sensations um how can this be used to alter your stress mm-hmm. but we don't ask what are you feeling what are you thinking yeah right so it can be hard to shift gears like that mm-hmm. and it does i think take like some training to go into yeah. that mindset that being said though i do think that child and youth carers have that um real background in being centered on the client right. and what they're feeling and mm-hmm. being really aware uh of the like you said the trauma-based background and how we we need to adjust our practices i think they're um everyone's skilled in you know flowing between um right. practices being diverse playing with it and and um uh, setting it up for teens or youth specifically right so even though it's rigid in terms of how we do it it's like the um the output of it can be something that's like played with a lot and examined um and i think that the background of you know connecting with the kids and the youth around how they're feeling working them through stress is is, it really can go hand in hand together yeah well, I'm going to skip down some of my questions because you have a large amount of experience <laughs> and I am going to ask you, 
if I find my question now. Jeez. Okay, so you've been in the field for some time now. 12 years. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you think you could offer people just entering our sector um, in how to facilitate mindfulness with youth? Um, yeah, so I think that the piece around working with youth is understanding where they're at, mm-hmm. which again, I think cares, youth, child and youth, the field itself is very skilled at looking at the client coming from their perspective and working within that. So one of the main things we can do is not come in as the adult saying, here's mindfulness and here's why you need to learn it and here's what we're going to do, right? (laughs) Which is, you know, what a lot of people can do accidentally. Um, I think it's more so about coming in from a place of honesty with the youth and saying, look, like this is just a tool. You can take with this what you want to take from it and then work with it with that. And a lot of um, mindfulness work is also the inquiry piece. So after people do an activity, for example, if you're in a group with youth, you ask them, how did that go for you? What did you notice? And so everyone shares in the group. And I think validating everyone's experience Mm -hmm. is a really important part of that, too. And again, that's why it appealed to me to bring it to the youth, um, like I'm doing a group right now, uh, is that there's not a lot of spaces where youth get that Mm -hmm. um, freedom to be themselves, whatever way they want to, they're showing up that day, right? So it's, they could be in a good place, not a good place, they could be angry, they could not like mindfulness, it's all okay. There's no expectation like school that you follow along, you listen, you, you know, take what you take, right? So um, I think... That's sort of the main thing is to just follow the youth where they're at, take their feedback and really listen to them and then adjust the practices accordingly so that it works for them. So you mentioned some great um, alternative things like um, music mm-hmm. or photography. You know, how can we use mindfulness in activities that the youth are engaged in right now and working from where they're coming from? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um. What has been the most important lesson you've learned thus far? (laughs) That's a big one. That is a big one. Um, So, yeah, I I think um, I would say a few years ago, um, what led me to heading out to India and exploring (laughs) other things was a lot of shifts in my own personal life. Um, So I went through a divorce. Mm And I had some other family dynamic issues come up, which really, you know, in combination when you're when your family and your uh, marriage is, you know, all coming apart <laughs> in some ways, it can feel really uh, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And you almost go, how did I get to this place? What is happening? And how do I get out of this place? <laughs> so it was, you know, a real, like, from the core, like, earthquake within of, like, I feel like everything I've been doing up to this point is not working anymore Mm -hmm. and was it working and I kind of felt when I examined things that I looked back on things and realized that I was the lens of a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was really going through life doing things to to please other people, which if you're in this field, (laughs) can be a lot of the reason why you're in this field. It can be a really positive thing Mm -hmm. because you're empathetic and you're open and you're sensitive to people and you want to support and help them. But um, it it wasn't working for me anymore. 
And when the opportunity to go to India came up, it was completely out of nowhere. I had never pictured myself going to India. I, I had traveled and backpacked around, but I felt like India was sort of the the number one backpacking right. destination <laughs> that I would never be able to do, um, especially by myself. But I went with this really supportive group of women, and we really did a lot of inner work. Um, and again, we did inner work with counseling we did mindfulness we did yoga practice mm -hmm. as well so that's how I became a certified yoga instructor in my time there but I was also really immersed in again the culture mm -hmm. and the background of why we do these things so living that life really opened my eyes it was more about slowing down enjoying the little moments connecting with yourself and uh, putting yourself first Right. Mm -hmm. So I came back from that trip. Um, I also continued traveling for a while with another friend of mine. And we, um, you know, there was no structure to my day. Um, obviously, it was a privilege to be able to do that. Um, but I was able to see what it's like to just put myself first all day, every day, <laughs> which I had never done probably in my entire life up mm -hmm. to that point, because it's viewed as self-indulgent or selfish right. or not necessary. Um, and so when I came back here, it really just shifted my mindset. Um, I was working in this field for a long time um, with youth, but I realized maybe there was space to change that and mm -hmm. change how I show up for, with my clients and with youth who I continue to work with and then develop my private practice and try to do things my own way, which again, I wasn't used to because I went to school, I worked, I was always used to right. following what other people's expectations of me were. And it was like, hey, you're in your late 30s now, maybe start exploring mm -hmm. what you want to do and how you want to live your life. And it really helped me move through this this dark time um, and see things differently and see the lessons that I needed right. to learn from that time. Um, so it's painful, but again, it, it was moving through to like something different. Um, and I am a lot more content with my life now. Right. Like it's still scary. I'm still trying to figure it out like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But definitely like it was a total mind shift. Um, and then I got this passion and the bug for how can I help spread this to others? <laughs> and yeah. our work with clients is client focused. So it's more like how do I show up in myself, stay present with the client and work with where they're coming mm -hmm. from. So I don't have the agenda. I don't have this idea of what I should be working with for them it's what do they want to work on and it's it's made my work with people go deeper and right. expanded my practice with people so yeah sounds great. like an enlightening experience <laughs> in some ways yes <laughs> we're near the end of our show and mm -hmm. there's so much i still want to touch upon and we can't well we can't right now but maybe we can have you on again of course yeah. and dive in deeper mm -hmm. um always room to go deeper yes mm -hmm. I am going to ask you what's become your right to speak's trademark question. What does advocacy mean to you? Okay, yeah, that's a great one. Um, so advocacy, I believe, you know, it's sort of always thought of as how do we stand up for others, um, you know, people in positions of, let's say, power and privilege, and, you know, what can we do to sort of represent people who are not in the positions mm -hmm. of authority. But really, um, I think advocacy is more working with the people you're trying to or people who want to be heard and mm -hmm. elevated and 
working with it from their perspective. So being a support, being an ally, um, asking questions, educating yourself. How can I support you in this process? And not speaking for people. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, you know, in the field, I still come across situations where people, especially youth and women, are not heard. And sometimes there's the unfortunate piece of me stepping in to have them be heard um, as an authority of, oh, I'm a social worker, I'm a therapist, I get my phone calls answered a little faster than the clients, which I find unfortunate. Um, and I do try to speak to that as much as possible, or I'm, I, I've changed my approach to working with the client, having the client make the phone call. I'm in the room with them to support them, but I'm not doing it for them. So it's more, you know, building that independence, building people's um, capacity to have their voices heard and even if they're not heard to try again to try again but just being more of a support from the side not from above (laughs) love it yeah um so i think it's a good way to end the show it sounds like you're very client centered which i love (laughs) it's dear to my heart um would you like to say anything before we end off the show uh no i mean i think you've covered everything that we wanted to talk about today thank you for know having me on and talking about my practice and the work that I do it's really nice to sort of spread the word and get the interest out there and see if there's any feedback yeah, yeah. for sure um under our uh, description of the episode I will put the contact information for your private practice if you want yeah that's great um yeah I'm on uh I don't have a formal website at the moment yeah. but I am on Instagram okay. um dserendipity44 and I have a Facebook page for the private practice and then you can contact me directly that way to set up uh, an appointment so I have one-to-one therapy uh yoga options meditation goddess cards saging I kind of do a little bit of everything so <laughs> I mean, at the expense of going longer on the show, what what are goddess cards? Yeah, so um, so uh, I I'm sure some of the listeners have heard of you know the concept of cards, um, tarot cards, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, this is not tarot cards. It's not as uh, let's see, it's not it doesn't go as deep as that, and it doesn't right. go into sort of the darker spaces of mm-hmm. things. Um, the cards are just meant to be a tool for a reading. So what we do is um, the goddess cards are all different cards named after famous goddesses from different cultures and religions. Mm. And um, when we do a session, you pull up the cards, um, one for your past, one for your present, one for your future. And it's meant to be some guidance around what might help you in these periods oh. of your life. Um, so it's a really positive thing. Um, sometimes it brings up some, you know, some thoughts for people or some direction about where they want to go deeper than themselves and then that can lead to a counseling or therapy session with me where it's expanded a little bit so the readings um i do one-to-ones i do online work and i also do group readings so that can be fun for people Mm -hmm. to experience it together um and yeah it's all meant to be just a positive here's what might help you in your life at this time a suggestion not uh it's not reading your future or anything like that so yeah sounds awesome (laughs) so we're gonna try to end the show off again (laughs) uh your right to speak will be posted on the second wednesday of every month thank you again for being on the show and taking the time out to speak with me um if you're a child or youth that would like to be on the show or if you have an idea of what topic you think i should be talking about you can email me at your right to speak at gmail.com that's y-o-u-r-r-i-g-h-t-t-o-s-p-e-a-k at g 
M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Let's raise awareness together.